wherever you are at in life, uh, there you are there for a reason. All right? Sometimes I feel like we go about life and we don't really understand why we are where we are. All right? But no matter where you're at, it's important that you be there. All right? In 1977, uh, there was a lightning that struck the power generators uh, of a company called Consolidated Edison. Uh, they were a company that serviced New York, New York, and uh, when it, the surge that came as a result of the lightning strike uh, should have been contained by the circuit breakers that were uh, there at the generators. However, it didn't. And the reason it didn't was because one mechanic forgot to tighten the nut uh, properly. And so it was a loose nut, and it caused an entire outage for almost 24 hours, I believe, uh, and, and it was a blackout throughout the entire city. Now, there were other things going on that, that summer. It was a heat wave. Uh, it was the summer of Sam as well. Uh, so there's a number of different things happening. But when that outage took place, uh, there were riots. Like, people started to riot. They, they uh, destroyed almost 1,600 stores. Uh, there were 1,000 fires started, over 1,000 fires started. Uh, and the police arrested about 37,000 people, 3,700 people, not 1,000. <laughs> that would be extreme. 3,700 people during this outage, all because of a loose lock nut. Do you think that guy's job was important? See, wherever we're at, wherever we are been placed, our job is important. And again, while we may not always understand what it is, we play an important part in the grand scheme of things, no matter how small our job seems. Uh, the famous mantra of theater is what? There are no small parts, only, you guys don't know that? Small people, small actors. All right, there are no small parts, only small actors. And, and the reason why they say that is because it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're the lead or an extra, you play an important part in developing the play. All right, and so you, whoever you are, you matter. Uh, today we want to look at the, the birth of, of Luke. Uh, we're looking at uh, Luke as he's writing the story about the birth of Jesus, and, and he decides to in, include in this story uh, John's birth. And so we, uh, we're going to look at that today, and we're going to see, uh, just for a moment, Zechariah's uh, exclamation, his praise to God, and how he kind of talks about this grand scheme of God, and then how we play a part in it. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57 today. Uh, and uh, that says 59. Uh, 57 today, uh, ignore what's on the screen, it's just one of those other glitches, all right, and, uh, <laughs> and we are going to uh, have fun today. All right, uh, up to this point, as Luke has been talking, he, he's kind of talked about two different birth announcements. The first one, he came to Zechariah, and he told Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a child. Zechariah said, no, okay. Whatever you say, sir. And uh, in response, the angel says, well, you're not going to be able to speak until he's born. All right, and so that all happens. Uh, the sign that he was given was he was not allowed to speak. And then we get Mary's birth announcement of Jesus. And the angel comes to her and he says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, how is that possible? Good question. And so he says, it's going to happen. And your sign that you're given is what? You guys remember? Elizabeth's pregnancy. 
All right, so there's a bunch of signs happening throughout this, okay? Uh, there's going to be another sign in our story today, and it deals with the greatness that John will be. be. All right, and so that's kind of where we're at. Mary, we're told, uh, goes. She lives with Elizabeth for about three months. It was six months into her pregnancy. So more than likely, uh, she is here at the birth of John. All right, and so that's where, or she leaves shortly before it, one of the two. All right, and so... Uh, that's kind of where our story picks up. We're going to be in verse 57 uh, through 58. It says this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. All right, so uh, Luke, has, again, has been giving us timeline. He, he's kind of a good historian, kind of showing us how everything fits uh, in, in the in time, and, and so we started off uh, being told that Zechariah was serving. He was during the time of Herod. We don't know exactly when, all right, but then when we get to Mary's birth announcement, it is uh, related to Elizabeth. It's six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, uh, we've, we've jumped ahead three months to the end of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, and we're being told that she gives birth, and what does she have? Surprise, surprise, a son. The angel told us, right? We already knew that, but the angels, it's still a great day, right? Uh, and, and once everyone hears that, that she has given birth, what do they do? They throw a party. I'll answer it. They cry out for joy. Good job. All right, they, they're happy, and, and we see this, right? Uh, we, we, we have all kinds of parties for people that get pregnant, especially if it's their first child, for Elizabeth, they, it's their first child, but more than that, they've been waiting years and years. And so uh, the anticipation and the joy that must have been bubbling up, not just in Elizabeth and Zechariah, but also in their friends and their families, it, it would have been a great celebration. All right, And so there's a joyous moment. Everybody's excited. Uh, and then we're going to kind of skip ahead eight days because uh, children weren't given names until the eighth day in Jewish custom. Uh, a couple reasons for this. One, I mean, it, it was a rough time. Kids didn't always live very long, and so sometimes you kind of waited for that. But two, uh, that's also the uh, day that they would circumcise male children. All right? And so this was a, a, the naming day. You would get circumcised. You're a part of the covenant people, and we get to name you. And so we're going to jump ahead in that in verses 59 uh, through 63, and this is what it says. Uh, on the eighth day, as, uh, as uh, they came to circumcise the child, and, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. And so they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. All right. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is all right, we read that story from our culture, and we're like, really? You're going to completely ignore Elizabeth here? All right, but that's not, we got, we got to recognize some things. First off, uh, it appears that, that there are some of those inclined to do the naming, and so we have to understand why they want to do this. And partly it has to do with who got to name the child. It wasn't the mother, all right? Uh, it seems harsh, but it's just what's the case. The person that got to name the children was the father, all right? And so uh, when, with Zechariah being unable to speak, 
probably some of the male relatives, maybe an uncle, maybe a patriarch of the family, they're coming in, they're saying, well, Zechariah can't speak, so I'm going to name the child. And they decide that they want to name him Zechariah after his father. And this we can understand, right? All right we name our kids after family members all the time. I, I'm named after my dad. He was named after his dad, sort of, kind of, in a way, weird way. All right, and, and, and that's just how uh, that happens. We named a couple of our kids after our grandmas, who uh, uh, we really respected. Uh, I have a friend uh, whose name is Juan, and uh, every one of his brothers has Juan in their name. All right, it, it's kind of weird. His dad is named Juan, and so his oldest son's Juan, which is Juanito, uh, and then and then he's Juan Eliezer, and then then there's Jeremiah's Juan, and then all kind. Of, it's just it's something they chose to do. All right, and so this this is kind of something we understand. You name him after somebody you really appreciate, and probably a relative in that day, and so. Rather than doing a grandfather, they're looking at Zechariah, who's waited years to have a child. And they recognize that Zechariah is a good man, and it's a good person to be named after. And they say, let's name him Zechariah. And Elizabeth speaks up, and she says, no, we're going to name him John. Now, it is quite possible that Elizabeth and Zechariah have talked, you know, in my family, we, we, we discussed it a long time, and we agreed on names, okay? Uh, I, I don't know if Emily would have liked it if I said, no, we're going to name them this, right? Uh, it, it was a good discussion, and, and we finally came on agreement on all of our children, right, babe? Right. All right, so we're shaking our head. We're in agreement that this is what we're going to name our kids. And so uh, that, that's, that, it's quite possible that they've been speaking to each other in this. But it is also quite possible, as we read this text, that she kind of came up with this name on her own. All right, the name, uh, names in the, in the Bible oftentimes mean something important. All right, and John, the name means the Lord is gracious or the Lord has shown favor. And what did Elizabeth say in, in verse 25 of chapter 1 of Luke when she found out she was pregnant? Oh yeah, she says, the Lord has shown favor upon me in my helpless estate. And so it's quite possible that she's looking at her life and she's examining everything that's gone on. And she says, you know what, we're naming him John because the Lord has shown favor on me. So when they ask her, why do you want to name her John? I mean, there, there's no one in your family named John. And, and they just completely ignore her as they go to talk to Zechariah. And notice something interesting here. They don't just go up to Zechariah and say, hey, Zach, what do you want to name the child? It says that they make signs, sign language and, and whatever stuff, right? And, and why? Well, it's interesting that the word there that's used in the Greek talking about you're not going to be able to speak can also mean that maybe he can't hear as well. And so he probably had, may even be deaf, deaf and mute. And he cannot hear the conversation. And they're coming over here and they're making their signs because he doesn't know what they're talking about. And so he asked for a, a tablet. It would have been like our chalkboards, except it would have had wax and they would have used a stylus, and you could erase it, that type of thing. It's a cool de device. And he writes on this tablet, and he says, his name is John. 
No questions about it. He just straight up says, his name is John, to everyone's amazement, which makes me think that they hadn't talked. Elizabeth has come up with its name by herself, and Zechariah is doing what the angels told him to do. Right? And this is amazing, and it astonishes everyone. And then we read this in verse 64. Uh, that immediately Zechariah's mouth was open and his tongue was set free, and he begins to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. The sign of John's greatness is the miracle of Zechariah being able to speak again. Right? And, and everyone recognizes this. They're like, wow, they're filled with awe. And they're amazed, and they start to talk to each other. And, and, and I think they talk to each other because they recognize that there's something big has happened, but they don't understand what it means. And I think there's times in our lives, moments, that this happens, right? I, I think for, for many of us, the easiest way for me to relate this to you is what happened on 9-11, right? It happened, and then what do we do for the next week as Americans? We talked about it, and we discussed it, and we knew that it was big, but I don't think we understood how big. And, and, and now, what, 15 years later, we can look back and realize, wow, our lives have changed drastically because of that event. I think there's events like this, and I think this is one of those, where the people are recognizing this is big, and they start talking about it, and they're like, what does it all mean? We don't understand, because they're so close to the scene that they're not able to take a step back and look at the grand picture that's being painted. I feel like this is how we are as human beings. When it comes to God's grand scheme of what he's doing in this world, we are but a small part. And when we examine our lives and look at it in the moments, we oftentimes cannot see the big picture. We see what we're doing and that's it. But I think there's a bigger picture that's being painted. And I think sometimes it, it takes us looking back at our lives way down the line to finally see how that is. All right, so I think that's what, what's happening here. One of the things that Zechariah does as he's coming out of this, you know, he's had nine months to think inside his head what he wants to say the moment he's able to speak. And what it is is praise to God. And when we get to read it, uh, Luke does this thing where he kind of says, he praises God, and here's the reaction of everybody, and here's the praise that Zechariah gave. Right, and so here's, here's how it starts uh, in verses 67 through uh, uh, 70-something or other. All right, uh, 75. Uh, Zechariah is really going to talk about two different subject matters throughout this praise, and the first one uh, we want to just look at right now. Here's what he says. Zechariah uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he said through the, his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Uh, this is uh, the first part. Uh, we're told that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is uh, Old Testament language. All right? This is language that is used all the time when the Old Testament's entered the prophets to speak prophecy. Now, prophecy doesn't always mean foretelling or future telling. All right? Some of what Zechariah is going to say after he talks about this first part will be talking about the future. All right? But prophecy is literally the words of God. And so what he is speaking are words that God has placed inside him that is important for us to hear. And so the first subject that he decides to talk about, we're told about in verse 68 when he says uh, that, that, that we're praising God because he has redeemed his people. This idea of redemption is found throughout uh, the, the Old Testament. God is constantly redeeming his people. We see it in the Exodus story, right? The Israelites were slaves. And what did God do? He miraculously brought them out of slavery and he redeemed his people to be his. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're without water or food. And what does God do? He miraculously redeems his people by providing for their needs. They're entering into the promised land. And what does God do? He miraculously defeats all the armies that are opposed to the Israelites so that they're able to go in and conquer these nations in literally four battles. All right. God constantly was redeeming his people from their sins and the things that they were doing that constantly was turning them away from God and towards idols. All right, God is a redeeming God. And what Zechariah says as he's opening up his praise is, praise be to God because he redeems us. The salvation that Zechariah talks about, he, he really gives us four different things, or three different things that, that God is saving us for. One of them is he's saving us from the, our enemies and the hands of those who hate us. And yes, maybe Zechariah is talking about physical enemies. You know, the Israelites, they had a lot of physical enemies. They had the Roman Empire during this time. And it was, it was nice to be under Roman control because they kind of protected you from all the bad guys that were outside of the Roman Empire. But at the same time, it was also very bad to be under Roman control. There were taxes. And, and especially in the outer parts of the Roman Empire, the taxes were, were too much. They were too heavy. And then if you tried to not pay your taxes, they had these legions that were unstoppable at that time. And you, they would bring them in and they would, they would squelch whatever rebellion you decided to do. And so the Israelites, they didn't like the Romans. And it was oppressive, and so Zechariah is talking, he's saying God is redeeming us from our enemies, and yes, he may be talking about physical enemies. But I think there's a bigger enemy that Zechariah is talking about here. And it's the enemy of sin. And he's talking about this idea that God is coming to redeem us 
from the sins that have entangled us. One of the things that he says right before that, he's talking about uh, the horn that, of salvation that God has brought, raised up. And, and, and what's interesting about that is, is the horn is not, I always, when I read it, I always think like, like a, a trumpet horn, you know, a horn of salvation. But really it's a horn like an animal's horn. And it represents power and strength. And we see that the power and strength of salvation is found in God, not in us. I mean, this is important. We are not able to save ourselves. We are never good enough. We are never powerful enough. We can't do it. We need God. And so when we're talking about being saved from enemies, we must recognize that that salvation comes from God and God alone. When it comes to defeating sin in our lives, it's not by our strength that we do it, it's by God's strength in us. By God defeating sin in Jesus through his death and burial and resurrection. The next thing that he talks about, he talks about how uh, he saved us to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant. He's talking about this promise of long ago where, where Abraham uh, was said that he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky or as numerous as the sands on the, on the shore. All right? That's a lot of descendants. I mean, God, as Zechariah is saying, he is fulfilling that covenant, and it's fulfilled in Jesus, we see. And then again, he talks about saving us from our enemies so that... We can serve him without fear. All, all this salvation and, and rescue and mercy that Zechariah talks about, he do, finally brings it to this head where he does all these things, God does all these things so that we can serve him. See, I think the purpose that we have on earth ultimately always comes back to serving God. And I think this is the little picture within the grand scheme of God. You matter. Wherever you've been placed, wherever you are serving, you matter. And sometimes as we're serving and doing all these things and getting our hands dirty, we don't always see this big picture of what God is doing because we only see the mess that we're in. But we matter. Like the guy that was tightening all those lock nuts in the 1970s. He mattered. And his job mattered. You matter. You're serving in the nursery. You matter. You're providing opportunities for young families to come to church and hear the word of God in their lives. You matter. You're uh, the guys that serve communion. You matter. You are providing this emblems of Christ's death that we take on a daily basis. You're collecting offerings and monies that serve the kingdom and the kingdom purpose. You matter. Within the church, there are so many people that serve. And it doesn't really matter 
if they are the people that stand in the spotlights or they're the people that greet people. You know who the most important people in the church are? It's the ones that stand out there and say, good morning, how are you doing? You want to know why? Because most people, if they come to church the first time, they decide if they're going to come back to that church in the first 15 minutes. So way before the band starts playing, way before the preacher starts talking, they've already made up their mind if they're coming back. So who is the most important people? It's those that stand out there. They matter. The church cannot operate on one person. Right? There's someone running, there's a couple of people running the sound booth and, and live tubing this or whatever. They matter. Right? And, and, and we have to understand, we have to get this in our mind. We need to serve. And it doesn't matter where we serve because wherever it is, we matter. And our job is important. And I think Zechariah is kind of showing us this, that ultimately the rescue that God is providing from us, from our sins, and bringing us into the kingdom of God, it is done so that we can serve. And wherever God places us, that is where we need to be. And if we could step back and see everything if we could see the parts where we decided we're not going to serve here, it would mess up the entire picture. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, your job is important. Uh, from here, Zechariah, he's looking at the big picture of salvation that God is working uh, in their lives. Uh, and then he finally turns uh, to his son. And, and it, yes, his son is going to be this big guy, this great guy that's going to kind of pave the paths. But again, he's just a part of what God is doing. Here's what he says about his son in the closing parts of this uh, chapter. And you, my child, talking about John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come up to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the paths of righteousness. And, and we've already talked a little bit about John and, and his role. All right, John's role was important. He was coming to bring change. All right? They, Israelites, for generations now, had been doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And just because you do something over and over and over again doesn't make it right. So John was coming to bring change to the system that they thought was good. And his change was going to start with him recognizing that they had a need for forgiveness and repentance. It was going to be lighting a dark path that they didn't even realize was dark in their lives. And that was John's role in preparing the people for Jesus. But as important as his role was, it was just a small part. The only person that really matters in this whole thing is Jesus, right? He's the only one that can save us. But within his scheme, he threads these little pieces that are us, that are serving his kingdom. 
to build this big picture of what he's doing in this world. So my encouragement to you today is this. Serve him without fear. Because if you do, you will realize that you are part of something way bigger than what you can even imagine. And when you choose to serve him, you affect lives and you become like John in the lives of so many people. And you affect so many people and bring them closer to who Jesus is. John's role of preparing uh, the people of Israel for Jesus is the same role that we provide for various people in our lives. As we serve them, as we show them the love of Christ. And whoever you are, you are important wherever you've been placed. So serve God with all you are, wherever you are. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for this grand picture that really only you see. And Father God, we are just humble to be a part of that. To be able to serve you without fear because of the salvation that you bring. And Father God, wherever we're at, I pray that we will recognize that our job is important. That our rule is important. That we should do all as if we're serving you always. I pray God in our lives that we will recognize uh, the role that we play in your, your grand scheme of everything. It would help us to be willing servants, help us to be people who do the best that we can wherever we've been placed. I ask this in your name. Amen.